Tonight I want to read to you from the message by Dr. Peterson. I think it captures for us and sets the atmosphere for what I want to talk to you about a little bit later as we break the bread of life together. Since God has so generously let us join in on what he's doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open so the whole truth will be on display so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want and they won't have to bother believing truth they can't see. They're stone blind to the day spring brightness of the message that shines with Christ, who gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus to you. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. And it is that there's not much chance of that. You know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God has not left our side. We've been thrown down, but we've not been broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder, when Jesus did among them, he does still now in us. He lives. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. And while we're going through the worst, you're getting the best. May God add his blessing to the word. Our response. My love.
expectation of life. It all comes from you. Thank you for making it so. Thank you for offering more. And we pray now that you will help our hearts and minds and spirits and bodies to hear your word through your servant. We pray it in your name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Guess what preachers are tempted to do on Mondays? Does anybody know? Quit. There you go. Ah, sometimes Sunday is just so great you want to quit while you're head. Sometimes Sunday just so bad you just don't want to do it again. Those are emotions. Everybody has them. And I bet since you've been here at NBC, there have been times when you wanted to quit. But you started on a race. And the race doesn't do you any good if you don't reach the finish line. Amen? And I got some good news for you. God is going to do everything in his power to see to it you make the finish line. Now, it's real easy for us to begin to think in terms of, well, I need to do everything I can do in my power to make the finish line. So let me just let you off the hook. You can't get to the finish line by yourself. Okay? Just want you to know, in this particular race, you will never reach the finish line by yourself because the race isn't designed that way. It is designed for you to finish in the power of God. Isn't that good news? And God doesn't quit. He's not going to give up. The race never gets too hard for him. He will never let you down. So if you don't remember anything else I tell you tonight, I want you to remember this. God is going to do everything in his power to see to it that you finish the race. And, and the good news is all you have to do is trust in him and depend on him and love him, and it will work. Okay? It'll do it. Well, I went through 35 years of Mondays, and some of them were good, and some of them were not so good. God was always there. It's nice to know God doesn't go away on Sunday night, isn't it? <laughs> He's still there. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians again. And this time, I want to read from the NIV. And I want us to look specifically at verses 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Say, not crushed with me. Okay, I promise you, if you haven't been in a pressure cooker yet, you will be. Life just has those kind of pressured moments. But guess what? We are pressed on every side, but not what? Not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Say, not in despair with me. Not in despair. We're going to talk about the significance of, of the language that Paul chose here in just a moment. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Say, not abandoned. Jesus meant it when he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Struck down, but not destroyed. Say, not destroyed. I got good. Somebody told me, Dr. Russell, the devil's been in my backpack all day. I said, well, man, this message is for you because I'm going to whoop him real bad before we go home. Sometimes, in ministry, you just feel like, as they say in the South where I'm from, you just get whooped. Sometimes life is just that way. It's just hard. And, and you know, the good news that, that, I, that I like about the Bible is that it never hides that from us. Oh, I've heard all the rosy preachers of healthy, wealthy, and wise, and become millionaires, and, you know, send me 10, and I'll send you 20, and all. I've heard all that stuff. Well, that stuff's a lie, and life doesn't work that way. But the book of truth tells me that no matter what happens, I can win because God is in the business of giving victory to his kids. 
And so I want you to know that if you're going through one of those times when these words might describe how you're feeling or what you're going through, I've got some really good news for you. Really good news. You can and will finish the race if you trust the Lord. Well, let me tell you, here's kind of how it works. The race gets kind of hard. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not a runner. You can almost kind of tell that by looking at me, I bet you. I do walk. I love to walk, but I'm not a runner. But when I was about 30, discovering that I couldn't do what I used to do at 20, I decided that I'd buy that big runner book, you know, that the guy in the Air Force wrote. And by the way, he died kind of early. Did you ever notice that? Anyway, that running's bad for you. Sorry, Dr. King, I know you love that stuff. But anyway, so I bought the book, and I got the shoes, and I got the shorts, and I got the T-shirt, and I took off, man. And I was looking for this wall. Man, I just couldn't wait. The, the euphoria that I'm supposed to experience when I crash that wall. Well, I tell you, you know, I, I made it to, to a point where a mile. Man, I'm, run, I'm talking running now. I mean, I was trucking for a solid mile. I looked like a runner, I sweat like a runner, I smelled like a runner, but I wasn't enjoying it. Well, I said, you know, I get to two miles. I hit two miles. Man, I looked like a runner, I smelled like a runner, I sweat like a runner. No euphoria. Got to be at three miles. Now, I have a friend who runs 15 miles a day. He is an idiot, but, you know, so I think, you know... <laughs> Maybe three will work for me. There's no way I'm going to hold out to 15. Going to get three. I got to three miles. I looked like a runner. I smelled like a runner. I sweat like a runner. But I didn't love it like a runner. My feet hurt so bad. And, and I thought, man, this, this just isn't working. So I went to the doctor. I said, what's the problem? So he looked at my feet. And he said, boy, do you talk or do you quack? I just looked at him and said, wank. I tell you, when I walk in the sand, I look like a duck with toe, toe prints, okay? I mean, my feet are so flat. Well, it turns out that he said to me, there's no way you can be a runner unless you're willing to. And then he started adding up all these things I was going to have to do and buy. And that's when I hit the economic wall and began to walk again. So, so for some of you, the idea of a race, like a marathon or whatever, that just may not really just thrill your soul. It doesn't me either. But there are some things about racing that I did learn in going for that euphoric wall or whatever that was. And that is, it's just not easy. And you know, I did learn to enjoy it some, but honestly, I just physically was not fit to be a runner. And so the doctor said, you would do much better for yourself to walk. And so I've learned to do that, and I enjoy it. It's, but it, running was just hard, and, and I just never got to the place where, where I could enjoy it. And as we were waiting on worship, they were playing that song, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. And I kept looking for that joy, that euphoria that was supposed to hit when I hit this wall thing, and it never came. But I have found out something. That when I hit the walls of life head on, and they knock me down, there is a joy from Jesus, even in the middle of that, that the world didn't give me, and it can't take away. Amen? And so I want to tell you something. If you're starting on a race and the race gets hard, would it make a difference if you realized that you were guaranteed to win? Would it make a difference to you if you realized that God was going to do everything in his power to get you to the finish line and that you really didn't have to spend a lot of time worrying about that? Well, this is what this text says to us. For you see, the Apostle Paul never hid the fact that ministry was sometimes hard. Let's look at his life. Shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, whipped, stoned, 
left for dead. How many of you stand around and say, give me some of that, right? You know, but, but he doesn't hide it. He doesn't complain about it. He just tells the truth about it. Some people said, well, if he is really spiritual, those things wouldn't have happened to him. And that's part of why he has to write about this in the second letter to the Corinthian church. Because they're kind of falling for some false doctrine that might be similar to what you and I would think of as sort of prosperity doctrine, or this idea of certain things made you spiritual, and prosperity made you spiritual, and so forth. And so Paul says, man, let me tell you the truth. And so in the process of looking at all this, Paul gives us some principles that we need to remember. The first one is this. In ministry, I am given the job of sharing an awesome message with the world. And the truth of the matter is, it's not about me. It's about the message and the messenger who has sent me to carry the message. And it will help me if I learn this first principle. The content is awesome. The container is weak. Here's good news. When you stand up in the pulpit, you don't have to be the brightest. You don't have to be the prettiest. You don't have to be the tallest or the shortest. You don't have to be the most handsome. You don't have to have certain kinds of books behind your name. You don't have to have been on television. You don't have to be a celebrity. You just have to be sold out to Jesus. A container that he can use anywhere, anytime, however he wants to. Because though the container may be weak, the content is absolutely awesome. And that's what Paul means when he says, we carry this awesome treasure in jars of clay. Our message is the awesome message that Jesus saves from all sin. And God uses us. We're the containers that prove that the work's from God. It's not us. But it's what God's done in us, what God says through us, and what we can share as we give this message to the world. So let me tell you something. Take care of yourself, yes. Be clean, be the best you can be, dress the best you can be, prepare the best you can be, but understand what it's really about is when you stand in the pulpit and say, thus says the Lord. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because you see, your people have been lied to all week. They've been lied to by the media. They've been lied to by intelligentsia. They've been lied to by merchandising. They've been lied to by the devil. They've been lied to by the system. And on Sunday morning, you and I get to stand up and give them truth that will help them to overcome all the lies that have invaded their lives. Amen? Isn't that good? So the container may be weak, but man, the content is awesome. It's the Word of God. Now, the second thing is this. While you're living the truth, and sharing the truth and giving it away, you are going to face the same challenges in life that your church members face. And you're going to even face some unique ones because you're the pastor or because you're a minister or because you belong to Jesus. The Bible is very plain about that, that if we dare to live for Jesus and like Jesus, we're going to experience the same kind of thing he did. Not everybody said, hey, great, Jesus is coming to town. <laughs> there were a lot of people didn't want him to come to town, you know, and people are still that way today. They're blinded. They can't see. And so you and I are going to live in a world where the same challenges that face the apostles are going to face us today. Now let's take a look at the challenges, but let's also take a look at God's provision. We are pressured on every side. I love the, the original language that Paul cho chose. You know, when you're working on your sermons and you go to do your etymology as part of your exegetical preparation, I'm always intrigued by why did the writer choose that word? And so you look into that word to see what is, what is the concept here. 
And, and, and the particular word that Paul used is a word kind of like for tribulation. It's, it's the idea, not just of trouble, but anguishing trouble. I mean, man, it hits you from all sides. It pressures you until you think, I just can't bear this anymore. We are pressured like that, he says, and we're going to face those. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. And I love the word that's translated crushed because it carries with it the idea that we're hemmed in with no escape, nothing that we can do about it. But no, that's not the case because we have an escape through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Word. Amen? Amen. We can stand up against the pressures of life because God provides for us a way of escape from every temptation, a way of escape from discouragement. God offers us always the choice of faith over folly, over truth, over lie. God always offers us his power over our own. He will give to us in those moments of highest pressure everything we need to withstand everything that comes. For it cannot hem us in because we belong to him. Then Paul says, <clears throat> we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Interestingly, that when you look at this in the Greek, the word perplexed and despair are the same words, just despair is a compound of the word for complex, perplexed. Now, perplexed is the idea of, well, you know, when you're taking that exam <laughs> and you feel so perplexed, you're just sure that Dr. King didn't mention that in class. And Dr. Like never put that in his 27-point outline. You know, <laughs> and you're just so perplexed. And suddenly that leads to despair when you realize how many answers you're perplexed about. <laughs> well, <laughs> but life, <laughs> life is often that way. The truth of the matter is, there is no way. Let me tell you something. This will help you as a pastor. People are going to come to you and they're going to say, I don't understand this, Pastor. I don't understand why this is happening to me. And don't you dare act like you understand. Because you don't either. In the South, that means give me a... Okay. See, it's not your job to be able to understand it either. It's your job to point them to the one who does understand. There are going to be times you just don't understand. And you're going to be tempted to get stuck on the why. Well, get off that three-letter word why, because it'll tear you apart. And move to the three-letter word who. Who is in control here? I belong to him. He always understands why. Amen? And sometimes he lets me in on it. <laughs> and sometimes he doesn't. Didn't you love it when you were growing up and your parents used to say, because I say so? Didn't that just bless your heart? Well, get used to it because sometimes God says, because I say so. Because I want you to. Because it's good for you. Because you need to go through this test. Because you're going to learn and you're going to become more like me by going through this. You might be perplexed, but I promise you when you turn to Jesus, you will not be left in despair. Persecuted. Interesting word that Paul uses here. It, it denotes the idea of something that's coming at you that scares you and makes you want to run away. But it doesn't do you any good to run because it pursues you. It just stays on and on and on. Have you ever had any of those kind of things? You know the kind of things that are still on your prayer list? They've been there for a long time. You wonder if God's forgotten that you've brought them to them. And they just keep hammering at you. They just keep coming at you. They just keep coming again and again. Life has moments like that. Life has issues like that. Being a Christian does not protect me from those moments. But I tell you what being a Christian does do for me. Even though I'm persecuted, I will never face that alone because I am not abandoned. God doesn't run when times get hard. 
That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, take your stand. And be sure you're standing lest you fall. Pay attention, because when you stand, you don't stand on your own. You stand in the armor of God. You stand in the power of God. You stand in the dependence upon the Holy Spirit, because you realize you may get persecuted, but you're not alone. Jesus took it alone so we wouldn't have to. Amen? Do you believe that? See, when I read this, I sometimes wonder, do we really believe that? Because if you don't, the devil will knock you down for sure. And then finally, there'll be physical affliction. You know, the kind of stuff, beat, stone, flog, that kind of thing. Well, <clears throat> I only had that happen to me once. I was pastoring in the inner city of Long Beach, and, uh, and there was a street fighter that was killing a young boy next to the church, and I felt like I probably should stop that. <laughs> Whoo, man, that was not a good idea. There was a reason why they called that boy Eddie the Samoan. Man, he was tough. But what really comes to my mind for me is the Billy DeWick story. Now, I know you can't tell it by looking at me, but when I was born, I weighed one pound, 12 ounces. That's the truth. I wasn't supposed to make it through the night. Look what beans and taters are doing. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> you know? but, but the only problem was I didn't start growing until the 10th grade. I have, I have a picture of me when I got my driver's license, and I look like one of those little old men. I'm sitting in my Volkswagen, and my head just rises above the window like this. I used to look through the steering wheel to drive. Drive my mother crazy. <laughs> but I was just a little bitty guy. And in the sixth grade, we had a guy in our class named Billy DeWicks. And when I think about it, it kind of looks like that cartoon. The big guy was Billy, and the little guy was me. And I was the smallest guy in class. My, my best friend was Jamie Williams, but she, she was the only girl that was as small as I was. And so we lived in the same neighborhood, and we walked home together every day. We weren't boyfriend or girlfriend. We were just the two tiny kids in class. So we're friends. And so one day, Billy DeWicks decided he's going to pick on us. So he came up and he stripped my books and everything out of my hands and messed up all my papers. Well, okay. Then he did that to Jamie. <clears throat> oh, now that's not good. But I'd been a Christian now for two years and I knew I wasn't supposed to fight and I'm trying to keep it together. But then he started saying some bad words and calling my mother some things. You know what I'm saying? Well, in the Code of the South, I looked at it this way. My books, cheek number one. Jamie's books, cheek, no, cheek number two. Nasty words about my mother, I'm out of cheeks. Boom! And I tore into that guy. That's how you interpret scripture for yourself. I think that's what Paul was talking about a little bit earlier. That was Russell's reverse vision, you understand? And so I went after him. Now, Billy had been in the sixth grade. This, this was back in the days where you couldn't pass until you actually passed. And this was Billy's third time in the sixth grade. He was about to get it down. But there wasn't anybody in the school as big as Billy, so he was, the, he was the school bully. And so I tore into him because my granddaddy taught me, when they're bigger, you only get one hit, so make it good. So I gave him everything I had. And I actually knocked him down, which surprised him. But when he got up, he hit me three ways. Hard, fast, and continuously. <clears throat> I'm telling you, I was hurting from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I was bleeding. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't a part of me that wasn't hurt. And I'd just get up, keep turning into him. And he began to beg me, quit, man, quit, so I don't have to kill you. Just quit. And you know, you ever seen them where they hold you like this in one hand and you're... <laughs> you know? I was not going to quit. I am not a quitter. So I stayed after it. We fought for about 30 minutes. Well, I fought for 30 minutes <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he would just kind of get tired of holding me around and he'd go, send me a run. I'd get back up and go after him again. Well, my mother got worried because I was late coming home, so she drives up. Here we are up on this little hill. You always fight on a hill in the south. That's just what you do. And we're fighting, and my mother pulls up, and she gets out of the car, and she says, young man, what do you think you're doing? She begins to bawl me out for fighting. I turned to Billy, and I said, what you said about my mother was true. And I went and got in the car. Man, I was angry. 
Oh, man. I tell you. <laughs> well, I went home and then I had to do some repenting, you know. Tell the Lord I'm sorry. Oh, man. I tell you. What Paul says to us is that when the Billy DeWicks come around, are you going to fight or are you going to quit? Well, I wouldn't quit. And I'm telling you that we don't have to quit either because we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And conquerors don't quit. Conquerors overcome. Do you have your Bibles with you? I want you to turn to this. I know we're familiar with this, but sometimes I think we forget the familiar and rob ourselves of some awesome blessings. Okay? More than conquerors, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Look at it with me. And we know, not we feel, none of that. We know. The word here is the idea of knowing by experience, knowing through relationship. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you love Jesus tonight? He's working for your good. Who've been called according to his purpose. Has he called you to serve him? Oh, he's working for your good. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. It's already his plan to make us more like Jesus. And Jesus overcame the world, amen? Therefore, we can overcome the world, says the Apostle John. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I love this. I've got this circled and underlined in yellow in my Bible. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Say the word all with me. All. That is a wonderful, inclusive word. Wow. Who will bring any charge against those from whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any final exam, nor any test I have to take, nor Podunk County First Church, none of those things, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Whew, gotta get that out in one breath. Isn't that awesome? So just reach back in your backpack, friend, and tell the devil, you're more than a conqueror. He's got to go. Amen. Amen. Well, I've read the fine print of the guarantee. You know, all guarantees have a fine print. And I just read it to you. It's found in Romans 8. It tells us why what Paul said to the Corinthian church in the second book, chapter 4, is true. It's true because God will always do what he said he'll do. You can withstand the pressures of life, pressed but not crushed. You won't always understand, but you'll never be left in despair because Jesus will give you the answer, for he is the answer to everything you face. You may get knocked down, but you'll not get knocked out. You remember Paul Harvey? And now the rest of the story? Well, that was on Friday when Billy and I had our little tussle, which meant I had to go back to school on Monday. Had a lot of explaining to do at church on Sunday. Two black eyes, swollen lips, band-aids, 
kind of, you know, doing like bragging rights. Yeah, you should see the other guy. <laughs> he didn't even get a Band-Aid, <laughs> you know. So anyway, come Monday, I have to go back to school. I'm coming down the driveway, walking towards the school, and I look up, and here comes Billy DeWiggs. <laughs> and, I, and I just said, no, Lord, please, could I be like David and you make Billy DeWiggs like Goliath? Just give me a rock and let me hit him in the head. You know, something, <laughs> something spiritual here. I'm praying underneath my breath. He just keeps getting closer. And the closer he got, the bigger he got. I'd never seen Billy look quite so big. Well, I stood like this, braced myself, doubled up my little fist, and said, again, I'm just going to get one lick, and he's going to hurt me bad. Jesus, I'll see you in a few minutes. <clears throat> he came up. He wrapped his arms around me, and here's his little entourage that always followed him. He wrapped his arms around me, and he said, anybody messes with Russum, got to mess with me, because he's my buddy. This little guy never gives up. And that was really important when we got to junior high school because we're walking down the hall together one day. I'm still the smallest kid in class. One of the high school football players came along, decided I was in his way, picked me up, shoved me against the locker, bam! All of a sudden I heard, and I looked over and Billy had popped that dude and he was on the floor. He was knocked down and he didn't get up. Jesus wasn't on his side. <laughs> you know. Everywhere I went, I went around with Billy DeWicks. You want to mess with me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, I don't have Billy DeWicks today. I got something better. I got Jesus. I got the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost. I got the Spirit with me who said, you can be pressured but not crushed. You'll be knocked down but not destroyed. So the issue is, what are we going to do about it today? I want to give you a chance to do something. We're running out of time here. I want you to, I want you to think about this. One of these descriptions may really be right where you are. Pressured, physical things, medical bills, financial trials, trying to keep up, all the stuff that goes with that. Don't give up. You'll finish. And I don't just mean graduation, but I'm talking about the ultimate graduation. You'll finish. God will see to it. But maybe you need to tonight, it would be good for you to be able to just stand up where you are and say, I'm not going to quit. I don't have to quit. God is going to get me to the finish line. And if that would be a meaningful thing for you to do between you and Jesus, I want you just to bow your head and thank him for it and just stand up right where you are and say, I'm not going to quit. I don't have to quit. I'm on God's side, and God's on my side. Everybody bow your heads if you would, please. And in just a moment, we'll all stand. But first, I want to give you the opportunity. Maybe that's where you are tonight, and you need to just stand and say, I'm not going to quit. I refuse to be crushed. I refuse to be destroyed. I refuse to remain discouraged. I refuse to throw in the towel. I refuse to give up my faith. I refuse to quit trust in God. I refuse the temptation to handle it in my own strength. I'm going to do it God's way. And God is going to see to it that I win. Would you thank him for it right where you are? Rest of us, would you stand and join us, please? In a moment, Dr. Lyke's going to lead us in a response to this. But I want to give you a moment right where you are, whatever that is. Whatever the pressure is, whatever's knocked you down, whatever has put its hold on you, whatever's tried to discourage you, whatever's going on. 
would you be reminded tonight that God's bigger than what's the matter? I want you to tell Jesus, Lord, I believe you. I declare in your power that I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you that we are more than overcomers through you. We are thankful that we can stand with the Apostle Paul and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we thank you that we can listen to the words of our Savior as he says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the words of the scripture that say, faithful is he who has called you, who also will bring it to pass. And now this benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And God's people said, Amen. God bless. Sure, if you change songs, so I sat still yeah. trying to watch. Oh, yeah. So, um, if maybe the songbook that you have down there, the all is best songs mm -hmm. of praise and worship, is that where you pull out of? If I ever change, yeah. If you ever yeah. change, okay. Yeah. I have one. Do you okay. want me to bring one with me so then that way if you. No, we've got another one here. You've got another yeah. one here? Okay. All right. All right. Thanks.
Or we don't even have meat. We don't even need elephants.